Welcome to Health Naturally on 2 and URFM. Greg Richard, joined today by Dennis Stewart. Dennis, thanks for coming in once again. Very good to be with you, Greg. It's always a pleasure. Oh, thanks. I appreciate that. I've made your day, haven't I? Oh, you have. Oh, that's good. I'm pleased. I can go now. <laughs> you can go now. And you've got a T-shirt on, the same that I have. So oh, yeah, there, there you go. go. Yeah, look, we're nearly very, twins very today. Trendy. Very trendy. <laughs> And we've both got checkered shirts on as well. We have indeed. Only mine's long sleeve. Yours is short sleeve. Right. There's something about age. Hmm. Probably a good thing we called first before we worked out what we're wearing today. Probably. <laughs> Dennis, in the last few weeks you've been talking about herbs and food and how beneficial they can be for mm. us. And today you're looking, well, we're going to the Mediterranean a bit today. Yeah, look, um, I've touched on this topic before. That is the, the influence of what's called... Uh, Mediterranean eating habits and Mediterranean lifestyle and the Mediterranean diet. Uh, I want to touch on it again today as a result of two uh, events that happened in uh, my week so far. One of them was I watched a program um, conducted by the well-known British medical practitioner and I guess you'd call him a journalist also, uh, Michael Mosley, whose books uh, I read with great interest. And he's done a lot on his programs uh, to promote good health through lifestyle and dietary matters. Uh, I watched this program. I caught it about halfway through. And what the gist of the program was, was that um, there were certain parts of the world where there were uh, uh, an abnormally large percentage of centenarians. Mm-hmm. That is, people that were over 100 years of age and doing well over 100 years of age. And Mosley was interested to look at these places and, f- and look at the lifestyle, particularly to look at the diet and the foods that they ate and uh, sought to make conclusions associated with that. And uh, one uh, thing that emerged was that um, he went to a, a part of the Mediterranean. I think it was one of the, either the Greek islands or a part of Italy. I can't remember that now, but a fairly elevated area on the Mediterranean where a village uh, existed, a very old village, and where he interviewed, amongst other people, a, a gentleman who was well over 100 years of age, uh, still very, very sound mentally, uh, physically was still working his garden as presumably his ancestors had done in the same place yep. for hundreds of years and uh, uh, grew his own food, uh, had a, a lifestyle that we would prob- probably uh, envy. But in discussing the, uh, the health of the gentleman, uh, there was a great deal of emphasis put on the role of the use of olive oil in the diet and my uh, conclusion of uh, Mosley's segment, which I thoroughly enjoyed, uh, was that um, olive oil uh, is the leading substance, in my opinion, that uh, has given the name Med- the Mediterranean diet. And uh, as a result of my studies on olives and olive oil over very many years, I concur with the conclusion that uh, Mosley seemed to make, and that was that uh, centenarians, many of them uh, in the Mediterranean, can put down their very, very healthy and long life to, amongst other things, the copious, regular, daily ingestion of olive oil. Right. We'll touch and I bit. want to touch on that and see why this is so. I know we've done it before, but I've encouraged listeners on this program uh, to take on board the, the, uh, the value of customs and traditions and eating habits and lifestyles uh, of many cultures around the world. And indeed, 
as a multicultural nation, we have amongst us, particularly in the in the Newcastle area, very, very many good people that have come from Mediterranean countries who bring with them uh, eating habits and foods which we should take on board. I know we've yep. taken uh, much on board, like growing up in this uh, in this town many, 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 many years ago, it would have been unheard of for Anglos to be interested in, in olive oil, let alone see it as a substitute for, for animal fats. Yep. That's happened in our lifestyle, in our lifetime, but I want to promote it even more vigorously and see it as a role that if taken daily, I believe olive oil with those other herbs that I've mentioned on this program, things like, for instance, the hawthorn berry, uh, things like uh, Panax ginseng, and of course, ginkgo biloba. I want to see those three anti-aging herbs, as I've preached them for nearly a decade on this program, uh, also appended by the, uh, by the food, if you want to call it that, or the fruit of the olive, olive oil, as being an agent, regularly taken, has multiple valuable consequences which many of us can't appreciate, but which many of my patients over the years have benefited from as a result of my advising them, particularly with various health problems, which I'll talk about, to start using olive oil. And very, very frequently, I've been blessed by my patients who have discovered the virtue of it. They may not live to be 100 years of age, but they can get some of the virtues that Mosley was able to locate amongst these beautiful elderly people living around the Mediterranean who are well over 100 years of age and still doing pretty well. Pretty well. We'll talk about olive oil a little bit more. A little bit more. A little bit. <laughs> now, we're talking about olive oil today. Dennis, you mentioned two events. You firstly mentioned uh -huh. the Michael Mosley program. Yeah, yeah. So what was the other one that Well, look, you? I had a very interesting discussion with, with a young lady in my uh, session at Cessnock in, in uh, last Tuesday. Uh, listeners know I do a session once a month in Bowen's practice at Cessnock, and I had this delightful lady who lives in the valley, uh, uh, belongs to a well-known family, and um, she uh, informed me that what she's involved in or part of what she's involved in is uh, working with what's called a still now, stills are made or do many things. One of the things that a still can do, of course, is extract essential oils. And in talking to her, I uh, gleaned that this is what uh, she was involved in. But I also led the discussion in the, in the direction of saying that stills um, are a piece of equipment that are also used to extract herbs generally, not just uh, aromatic herbs for their oil, but are part and parcel of the manufacture of herbal fluid extracts. Now, herbal fluid extracts are the basis of many liquid herbal products in our pharmacies, our health food stores, and my practice, of course, for over 40 years has been dependent upon high-quality fluid extracts, that is, where the herb, the dried herb normally, has been taken uh, macerated, that is soaked in an appropriate solvent, which is usually a low-strength alcohol, and then subjected to a manufacturing or extraction process, which is finalised by the usage of a still to concentrate the liquid down to the required concentrate that that extract requires. And I led the discussion into the area of saying, look, in the Hunter Valley, we, uh, we produce excellent olive oils, great 
this is a, this is wonderful that uh, the the valley has developed a reputation over decades now for this area. But I led the discussion also by saying that I'm surprised. I'm surprised that um, growers of grapes and growers of olives in the valley, and particularly growers of, of olives, have not locked on to the fact that one of the most popular liquid herbal preparations in the Western world today is made not on the fruit of the olive, but on the leaf of the olive tree. You're right. Absolutely. And if, if uh, listeners were to go into their health food stores, and I hope we are still patronising health food stores, um, uh, if they were to go into health food stores, they would find various brands of olive leaf extract. Now, olive leaf extract uh, has characteristics different to that of the oil. Olive leaf extract is used like the herb echinacea. It is, if you like, a European equivalent. Now, that'd be a little bit too broad, but it could be seen as a European equivalent to the American echinacea. Echinacea, of course, is a flower, a herb, whereas the olive leaf, the extract of that, whilst it shares similarities with echinacea, is, of course, from a different part of a different tree. But olive leaf extract now, for many years now, has been promoted and documented, written about and spoken about as a very effective agent to support our immune system, a very important agent, particularly at a time when we're confronted by so many viruses, as being useful both prophylactically and also as an agent to fight viral infections. This is particularly uh, important because here again, in the valley, we have plenty of olive trees now. And rather than seeing the, the olive trees in their pruned state, uh, seeing those, those pruned parts of them discarded, there's the potential for those growers that are interested to see that the drying of those harvested parts of the olive tree, the olive leaves, in their dried form can be converted into a cash crop and then converted into a product, a valuable product, a medicinal product, that is the olive leaf extract. This young lady was very interested in it, and I have uh, seriously uh, indicated to her that I would be happy uh, to talk to her and other uh, growers of olives in the valley where I live and pass on to them the expertise that I have uh, in the area of manufacturing of herbal liquid extracts. So that also encouraged me to talk on this program in a moment about the olive leaf. We've been for a long time talking about olive oil, and rightly so, but olive leaf is something that I want people to take from the program today as having different characteristics to the oil, but being an important, safe, safe, well-known, gentle stimulant of the immune system, which can be taken as a fluid extract in a finished form, or even simply taken as a herbal tea of the leaf. Okay. Well, not, but I think many people would realise that you can use the olive leaf. I think most people That's just, correct. as you said, just discard it and well, just see, go for the olive. The, 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 the point is, uh, herbal medicine um, in, in English-speaking countries has been very much based on an Anglo-American model which uh, uh, that's what I was taught and that's what I've practised and, mm. and taught in, in various institutions for all my professional life. Um, 
And in that context, the Anglo-American system of herbal medicine, uh, which is articulated in, in books like the British Herbal Pharmacopoeia and in the literature of Simon Mills and uh, Kerry Bone, uh, that uh, has emphasised a bracket of herbs that have more to do, if you like, uh, I don't think I'm being too broad when I say this, with, with, with an Anglo culture and an Anglo herbal tradition. Mm -hmm. In Europe, uh, the tradition of herbal medicine, which is much more medically based, by the way, than yep. what it is in, in English-speaking countries, that has used uh, many herbs and many parts of, of the herbs which have not been included into our system. That is all changing. And I would like to think that I've had a bit to do in encouraging that, not just the transformation of our culture into a multicultural society, yep. but also as a result of reading and being aware of the fact that herbs from Europe in particular, and I've mentioned the reference that I frequently uh, use, the book entitled Herbal Medicine by the great German doctor and, uh, and herbal medicine practitioner, Dr. Rudolf Weiss, his work has influenced me greatly over my career. I've, all, I've said it's probably the most important uh, herbal in that tradition uh, that has characterised my teaching. Now, what has happened, of course, is the herbs of that tradition. Advice is very big on, on olives and particularly olive leaf that I'll talk about momentarily. So that's the transition that's taking place. We are developing, if you like, a system of traditional herbal medicine soundly based now, not just on tradition, but on a lot of good literature. We are developing that in this country probably faster than other English-speaking countries. Right, we are talking olive oil today and just the olive in general. The whole we are tree, indeed. The whole we are indeed. So we've got Paul from Elibana and he's got a question about shingles. Hello, Paul. Hello, how are you? Very um, well, thanks. How can we help you, Paul? Well, I missed the, uh, the week you were speaking about uh, a remedy for shingles. Um, I've had it now since April. Um, the rash didn't last long. No. That went. It's yes. a pain. Still, still it lingers. It lingers yes. underneath the armpit yes. and around the back, yeah. Okay. Look, uh, my starting base for this is to make sure that the uh, person has moved beyond the acute phase. The acute, acute phase, of course, is where the blisters have occurred and where uh, one has to be very cautious about what one uses because one can irritate the blister. But you're well beyond that. You're into um, the, the post-acute um, stage and you're experiencing what's called post-hepatic neuralgia. And that, unfortunately, can be a lingering, painful condition which can linger for quite some time. Now, my starting base is to say, look, um, you can get a preparation uh, that's known as Zostrix, Z-O-S. Yes, I've been using that. Yes. Now, uh, are you using the uh, high strength or the low strength? Well, the one I've got, you've got to wear a glove. If you don't wear a glove, you, you, you can't do much with your hands. Soap won't wash it off, so you've got to wear a glove. You, you've got to be cautious with it because for listeners who are not familiar with the preparation, it is based on a particular extract of capsicum. Now, yes. uh, the, uh, the, the, the preparation works because capsicum preparations, whether it be Zostrix or other equivalent preparations or similar preparations, what capsicum does is to an extent block what's called a substance P, which is a, what you might call a, a neurotransmitter, the, a, a, a substance, if you'll, or a, an agent which conveys uh, the pain 
uh, from the site where the inflammation is to the uh, areas of the brain that uh, pick up on the pain. So it's a blocking mechanism. I'm trying to keep it simple, but it is a blocking mechanism which is well-known and well-defined. Some people can tolerate it, others can't, but where it can be tolerated... Uh, and the toleration can actually grow on you, if you like. I'm saying that as a bit of a pun. But um, where uh, one can persevere with it, it can bring about a degree of improvement in the actual experience of the pain. Have you found that at all, Paul? Well, Dennis, I'm on my second tube now. Yep. Um, and uh, the first time I put it on, I there was no... I didn't feel any difference okay. at all. Um, <laughs> Yeah. Now let me just let me just say that uh, with capsicum-based preparations that work along this pathway, uh, they can take a period of time to start to assert themselves. Um, so I wouldn't give up on it. I would work with it a little bit longer. But what right. I would what I would also uh, suggest, or you think about, uh, for those that can't handle um, capsicum-based uh, products, I've recommended. Uh, for a long time, a, a gentler agent, which is useful in the less acute stages of the condition, which is known as St. John's wort oil. Now, St. John's wort is a herb. It grows in plague proportions in this country, but it has some useful anti-neuralgic characteristics, which sees it being called up in some of our literature as being useful. And that's what I would use the term, useful, as a means of ameliorating to some degree the pain associated with post-hepatic neuralgia. And some patients, for instance, that uh, are very sensitive to capsicum-based products have got some degree of benefit from the topical application of St John's wort, which would be uh, probably where you are available from your, your health food store and certainly available from my rooms at New Lambton. Try your health food store first. Uh, give that a bit of a go. But what I've also uh, found useful is to start quickly on the uh, preparation that I talk about frequently, and that is the preparation known as Astragalus 8. Now, Astragalus 8 has some remarkable characteristics, not just functioning prophylactically against viral infections, but also helping helping, uh, to resolve some of the lingering symptoms of viruses, and some of those can be uh, neuralgic or myalgic symptoms. So I would, while you're at Elibada at the health food store there, um, get hold of the uh, Astragalus 8 preparation and take it in conjunction with what you're already doing. I think you might find that that will speed the process up. Yes, all right, okay. Give that a try. Um, at the right. at the end of the day, uh, we'll put it this way: How long is it since the uh, you contracted? Um, this condition late April yeah well and, and it's still lingering yeah, yeah it's, some days is worse than others of yes. course but uh, it, it will tend yeah. it, it tends to burn itself out so to speak um, so you're probably getting close to it sort of uh, to that point um, but what I've said is about as good as what I can recommend for a wretched condition um, mm. But hopefully, with what you're doing and what I've recommended with Astragalus and even using some St. John's wort oil, that will speed the process up. All right. Okay. And uh, thanks very much for that, Dennis. Thank you, Paul. All right.
And we've got Anne from Greater, and she's got itchy skin for over 18 months, and nothing seems to be helping her at the moment. Hello. Hello, Anne. Hello, Dennis. How are you? I'm very well, Anne. How are you? You've got an itchy skin, have you? I have had itchy skin to the point I go to bed with a fork because that's the only thing that stops the scratching. Now, (laughs) I'll ask you a few questions which you'll... Yes. uh, Now, have you had it investigated? I have been to a professor on the Central Coast. I've been to a dermatologist. I've been to my GP. I've been to an acupuncturist. Oh, yes. And And you've had no benefit? Not really, no. Um, when it, it when it first started, I thought it was something stung me at the back of the neck. Yes. And it just slowly spread to the shoulders, to the back. And then at one stage, the scalp and everything was just itching like mad. Okay. Um, it seemed to settle, but, you know, the only thing I was told was take four antihistamine a day. And I went, well, I'm not going to do that. Mm-hmm. I did it for a while, but... Mm. I just a bit beside myself, and I'm going overseas in November, and I'm like, I don't really want to be scratching okay. on overseas. Look, I'll, I'll talk first of all about perhaps managing it uh, topically. Have you yes. have you used preparations that contain pine tar? Uh, no, I haven't. Okay. Look, uh, listeners probably know that I'm a great fan of, of, of pine tarsal, which is a, a pine tar-based preparation, which right. I... Um, discovered, fortunately, as a young man um, working and studying in Sydney, not feeding myself properly and travelling back to Newcastle every weekend to, to, to court my dear wife. It was worthwhile. But as a result, <laughs> I, uh, I developed very bad eczema. And right. uh, associated with that was an intense, terrible itch. The thing that gave me a lot of relief uh, was uh, using that preparation based on uh, pine tar, a liquid preparation. I actually like the smell of it. Many people don't, but yeah. I use that topically uh, in in a bath and subsequently um, as a as a shower preparation. And whilst it didn't cure the situation, it was one thing that allowed me to get a night's sleep. And if it, I had a shower in the morning and use it, it would give me comfort during the day. Um, okay. I would I would suggest that you talk uh, to your good pharmacist. I'm a great fan of our pharmacies and our pharmacists. Very skillful people are the pharmacists. Um, Have a yarn with them and talk to them about uh, pine tarsal products um, or equivalent, but they would know what I'm talking about. You can get the product in various forms, a gel, Mm -hmm. a lotion, or these days you can also get it uh, as a, a bath or a shower oil, and that's a very effective way of applying it. So to start with, if you haven't used that, you could well be missing out on a benefit. So Well, I did try that at one stage. Right. Well, you've got to work with it. And okay. I, I, um, I, I did well with that. Also, what might be useful is uh, to get a, a, a lotion that contains a small amount of either what's called oil of cade, that's juniper tar, or pine tar, uh, a lotion made of that that can be applied, something like a, an ointment or a cream. I've used yes. it in that form, uh, and that may well be possible to obtain from the pharmacist. Um, I uh, developed a preparation uh, with one of my pharmacy friends who studied under me years ago based on a, a substance um, that is an extract of, of, uh, of licorice, and we uh, developed that, and... Um, 
it's the the ingredient in licorice is is called glycorrhizin or glycorrhytinic acid, which right. uh, works like a, a low strength steroid, but isn't a steroid cream. And my pharmacist put together a beautiful cream called the GA Complex Cream, which was based on the well-known characteristics of the extract of licorice together with a little bit of pine tar. And that works particularly well in in many of my patients who experience various levels, usually subacute levels of of eczema or dermatitis. That's worthwhile trying also. You may well be be able to purchase that, uh, not so much in greeter, although talk to your pharmacy about it, but you'd get it from the... Bowen's practice in Cumberland Street, Cessnock. Um, so there, there are two options. Now the third point, the third point is a little bit left field and might uh, might raise eyebrows. But um, herbal medicine practitioners place a lot of emphasis on on the liver and in right. in detoxifying the system. And that's the term we use. I know it's controversial, but I don't uh, detract from it. Uh, the, the the whilst you're at the pharmacy, get one of the uh, preparations that incorporates the herb St Mary's thistle. Oh, okay. Now, now St right. Mary's thistle is the primary uh, herb for the liver, and most herbalists or naturopaths trained in the Western tradition would see that as a primary remedy to what we call detoxifying the system. And how that spins over to the skin is that in our profession we see the skin frequently saying something about the circulation within the system of, if you like, toxins in inverted commas, which work their way to the surface of the skin and precipitate irritation or inflammation. Not a bad okay. bad mm-hmm. thing to do. The other thing that I place a lot of emphasis on uh, is the role of bioflavonoids, orally bioflavonoids, particularly one called quercetin. And your pharmacy should have that. It's available in health food stores, but I'm sure they'd have a preparation with quercetin in it. The, so the bioflavonoid quercetin, the use orally also of St Mary's thistle, and think about using uh, a bit more of, a, of, a, of the pine tar preparation or, or getting hold of the GA complex cream with the extract of, uh, of licorice in it. All right, that is lovely. Thank you for that, Dennis. My... Um Pharmacy here at Greeter is a compounding one anyway. Oh, well, so he'd be able to do that. that for you. Yep. And, and look, great. I, I, I um, bless the emergence of compounding pharmacists. They take me back to when I was a kid growing up in this uh, city many, 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 many moons ago when it was very common uh, for uh, those days, my dear mother, to send me up to the pharmacist in, uh, in Adamstown uh, to get made up a particular mixture and I'd sit and wait for it, and he would come with his white coat and hand it to me like some godlike figure. That was compounding. Pharmacy was based on that. And uh, I, uh, I was talking to someone yesterday. I think it would be good to see, that pharmacists listening to this program might be challenged by this, it would be good to see some of the preparations in the older editions of the Australian pharmaceutical formulary brought back into medical and pharmacy use. I've got nearly every edition of that uh, handbook that pharmacists used to use. I don't say too much about it, but there's a lot in there of preparations for the skin, for the respiratory system. Pharmacists, and particularly compounding pharmacists, getting back into making up some of these preparations could take us back to the Hallison days of pharmacy when we had geniuses making up preparations 
unique from the Australian pharmaceutical formulary. Yes, right. All right. Well, look, thank you so much for your help. Well, thank you for ringing in. I've I've enjoyed talking to you, even though I've had a bit of a rave about my belief in in, in, in pharmacy and old-fashioned pharmacy. Never mind, I'm entitled to do that. You are. I'm I'm nearly a centenarian. Put that down to all the olive oil I use. All right, thank you very much. Okay, Ian. Cheers. Bye-bye. Thank you, Andy. Speaking of olive oil, Dennis, I think we'll wrap up olive oh, oil in we'll just, just a moment. We'll just up. You've done a great job today, Greg. You've <laughs> really spun it along. It's Health Naturally on 2NURFM. And just before we wrap up, Dennis, just want one more touch to the thing to say about with Anne. Yes, look, and if you're still listening, one thing I should have mentioned was that the herb chickweed uh, is a very useful agent when it's converted into what's called an infused oil. The infused oil of chickweed has what's called antipruritic characteristics. That means it's anti-itch and is so defined in the British Herbal Pharmacopoeia. I didn't mention that. And um, it would be available, I'm sure, from, from Bowen's in Cumberland Street, the infused oil of chickweed as a useful or potentially useful agent to, to assist in resolving this wretched itch condition that you have, Anne. We're almost, time, almost up for another ep- episode or Friday. Yep. Get my words out, but you touched on olive leaf uh, a little yeah. bit earlier, yeah, and you want to mention a bit I, more. I, I, want to, I want to touch on that to excite listeners about the. Uh, it's been an exciting program today. Um, <laughs> to excite listeners about the possibility of using the leaf of the olive, even for assisting cardiovascular health. Now that's a big call, yep. but what I want to do uh, next time we take up this topic is to look at the way in which the leaf of the olive tree is popularly used and increasingly used uh, in, in um, European and now Anglo cultures for assisting in, in promoting better cardiovascular health. We'll talk about that in an exciting way, showing how the use of olive leaf tea or olive leaf extract, which I'm hoping olive tree growers in the Hunter would have picked up on, and all racing out to support this dear young lady who's got the still revving to make olive leaf extract. We'll talk about it next week. And just before you go, Dennis, probably some people are saying, what's the difference between olive oil and all the olive oils, like your sunflower and peanut? Well, very quickly, olive oil is what's called a monounsaturated oil, and that is it's different in its chemistry to most other vegetable oils and certainly different to animal fats. And as such, it has incredibly beneficial activity working against particularly cardiovascular diseases. I'm very sceptical about the the role of polyunsaturates Mm -hmm. such as sunflower and safflower oils. Uh, I'm very, very keen for listeners to take on board the difference between Olive oil, which, which has omega-3 fatty yep. acids in it, rather than some of the other vegetable oils, which don't share the same chemistry, the monounsaturated chemistry that olive oil does. All right. Well, I think as soon as you hear omega-3, yep. you go, you're onto a good thing when you hear that. Yeah, that's exactly right. Dennis Stewart, thank you very much. We'll catch you again next Friday. Yeah, good program, Greg. You did well today. Oh, must be the shirt you're wearing and it the t- be, yeah. T-shirt the and the check shirt the, and the, 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 the white go, undershirt. There we go. <laughs> All right, Greg. The twins, will be, oh, twins won't be back next week. Mark will be back with you. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com. <laughs>